Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Uh, We're so glad you're with us if you're online, listening via unfiltered radio, um, watching um, online, wherever you're at or in the house today. We're in part four of this series called On the Right Track. Um, I don't know if this has been helpful for you, but I've really enjoyed preaching it. And so I'm going to wind the plane down today. And I want to start with this really common tension. And I think everything we talked about in the series has been really common. It's just a human thing. It doesn't matter what you believe about faith. We have a lot of people listening, watching, or in the house. They're like, I'm not sure about the Jesus thing. This is just a thing. What we're talking about is just true. And one of the dynamics that I think all of us have experienced, all of us have been through, is the reality that our worst decisions generally, I don't even think it's generally, I think it's all the time. Our worst decisions are fueled by something with strong emotional appeal. Otherwise you wouldn't give into it. Like the things that cause you to make decisions where you're like, this might undermine my future. Like you don't say that to yourself, but the reality of of that is there. Or I might become my own worst enemy if I do this. Or I I just don't think there's any way this is gonna lead in a good direction. And then yet somehow you bypass all of that. I bypass all of that and we make the decision anyway. I mean, it's how we get baited into things. And it's how we get baited and a lot of times repeating the same mistakes. Because it's not like it's some kind of thing where it's like, this isn't good for me and it's really unattractive, but I'm just going to do it anyway. It always comes with strong emotional appeal. There's something about it that lures us in. And so then we decide we're just going to lease it anyway. No payments for 36 months. We're going to buy it anyway. We're going to date it anyway. Move in with it anyway. Him anyway. Her anyway. Um, we're going to smoke it anyway. I don't know how many examples I should give. Like you, you, know, what, you know whatever your thing is. Like, and we just move forward and we just do it and we feel so enamored or attracted or moved by it and it's just emotional. Now, here's the thing that's really interesting about that dynamic though that maybe you relate to is it's weird when something has so much of, of that strong appeal or attractiveness that moves us into like, I don't know if this is gonna work out well, but I'm gonna do it anyway. And then over time, that thing with strong emotional appeal has almost no appeal. Then all of a sudden, the thing that you kind of created so much space for and spent so much time thinking about and ignored other things in order to do, now all of a sudden, that thing is not even in your life anymore. He's not even in your life anymore. Like she's not even in your life anymore. And somehow it lost its appeal. And in the moment, we just thought, well, it's just like a decision or it's temporary or this is just a season. Maybe it's just a diversion for you. And all of a sudden, like over time, you realize what felt like a diversion was actually a direction that you were headed that was leading to a prescribed destination to where you ended up in a place that you really didn't wanna be. And so the real question that you have to answer is, like, how do we keep ourselves from just repeating the same mistakes again? Like, how do we keep ourselves from moving into the same dynamic again? Because we can go through something, feel all those things, get to the other side and go, that wasn't a good idea. And then we do it again in another season, right? So I'll come back to that in just a second. Here's what the whole series is about though. 
is that the direction of your life is the thing that determines your destination. Things that feel like just momentary, a lot of, in a lot of cases are actually leading us somewhere relationally. They're leading us somewhere financially. They're leading us somewhere spiritually. And the direction of your life is actually the thing that's determining the destination of your life. So the best way to kind of predict your future, to know where things are gonna go is to look at where you're headed to look at the direction or the trajectory that your life is on. Because, and we've said this over and over again, your intentions are trumped by your direction every single time. Like, isn't it true? There's so many cases where we start to move in a direction of something you're just like, I don't know about this, or somebody tried to tell us, and we just have this idea in our minds that somehow because we're sincere, or because we have goals over here, or because we have dreams, or because we have good intentions, or we believe the right stuff, or I've attended church three weeks in a row, or whatever it is, we stack up these weird things that think that somehow I'm gonna make decisions that move me in this direction, but my intentions will somehow lead me to this destination. And it just doesn't work that way. Like the direction of your life overrides your intentions every single time, but isn't it true a lot of times there's just a disconnect. And your two five-year plan for your life, your dreams for your life, where you wanna be spiritually, where you're hoping to move emotionally is not really adding up with the direction that your life is actually headed. Like this is the reason that parents overreact all the time, right? Or like you are a parent and you're like, I'm not gonna do that and now you do that. Or you're a teenager and you, so you're still in the space of my parents overreact all the time. I, like I get it because they do. Because a lot of times they're looking at where you're headed, not where you are. And so you're like, we're in love and your dad's like, but he doesn't have a job. And so like, I get that you're in love, but in a decade, this may not go where you think it's gonna go. Like I'm all about trajectory. Like you're in the moment, this is headed somewhere. And they look at decisions that just look like isolated decisions for, for them. But you're like, no, 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 that's leading you in a direction. That's gonna take you somewhere in three years. That's gonna move you somewhere in this next season of your life. And so the, the reality is that it's present in all of our lives. Now, here's one like side note that might be worth the price of admission. So just to keep this in mind, this is so important with relationships because relationships are all about trajectory. Relationships are never static. They're always dynamic. They're always going somewhere. That's why like if you're single, and you're 22 and you're doing the whole dating thing, which is super complicated and looking to get married. What you have to understand is what you're looking for, who you're looking for, they're not gonna be the same at 22 that they are at 42. So to even expect that is unrealistic expectations. But what I can tell you is this, they're headed somewhere. There is some kind of trajectory to their path and relationships are always dynamic. They're always headed somewhere. And the reality is God's got a destiny for your life. As we said all throughout the series, God's got a will for your life. God has a plan for your life. And God does not want you to end up in this next season of your life or on the other side of this decision or at the end of this relational journey and end up at a destination that you never wanted. And more importantly, that God didn't want for your life. Here's what we said from the very beginning. God has created you for his glory. And that's huge theological terms to just say this, that God has created you in such a way that as you follow him and decide to follow Jesus and believe that Jesus is who he says he is and put him at the center of your life and it's gonna be imperfect. But when you do that, basically what it says is following Jesus is better and Jesus is better. And when you live like that imperfectly, it brings glory and attention to your heavenly father. And he's like, listen, the rhythm of your soul was created to live that way. 
And so the thing that you're looking for is found in syncing up, Jesus would say, in moving in my direction in all of your life. But the thing that sidetracks us, the things that move us off of that, the things that lead us down, the, down paths that are headed somewhere that we may not want are always lined with strong emotional appeal. So that's what I wanna talk about for a couple minutes. And here's what I put in my notes. The track to be avoided is always paved with strong emotional appeal. Again, nobody is sidetracked by something that's like, that looks horrible, that seems horrible, that's such a bad idea, there's nothing attractive or appealing about it, I think I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna end up in a place I don't wanna be in five years. Nobody does that. That There's this destination they desire, but there's this thing, this relationship, this destination, this job offer that is so emotionally strong in the moment that it begins to move you toward a place that you don't wanna be. And you know what strong emotional appeal looks like, right? Newer, faster, bigger. Like don't nudge anybody, don't look at anybody. Like just, I know. 25% return, you're like, that's our kid's college fund. I know, but it's 20, it's guaranteed 25% return or it's 25 years old. Like whatever your thing is, um, the huge emotional appeal is romance desire, I mean, come on, you, I don't even know a lot of you. You've done some stupid things out of what you've qualified as romance and it's led you toward places and spring break trips that you wish you could rewind. <laughs> Nervous laughter. Acceptance, I mean, that's a huge one because we are drawn toward environments of acceptance. And so when we feel like, cause it's, it's the thing that our soul longs for, God created us for, we will move toward places and people to get acceptance that we would never, never even consider otherwise. Attention, adventure, this is a huge one. Security and safety. I mean, this, this is maybe one of the biggest ones where we're looking for all of these other things that ultimately can provide our soul, our inner being with security and safety. And so you're like, are, are you really in love with him? And she's like, well, he has a really good job. And you're like, well, that's not what I asked you. Or, hey, are you sure this relationship is going the direction you want? I, but I'm not getting any younger. That's not really what I asked you. I mean, safety and security is such a huge pull or everybody does it in my industry. And here's the thing, I just wanna make this really clear. A lot of those things are not wrong. Like newer, bigger, faster, not wrong in and of itself. But really great desires, even really great pleasures out of context, I mean, you know this already, can lead you to places that you don't wanna go. And in a lot of cases, those things that we start to move toward are actually our attempts, this is gonna sound weird, are our attempts for more of God. Because as human beings, you were created by God for God. And the longing of your soul for peace and security and for pleasure and contentment, it's ultimately found in God and following God toward the direction that he wants for your life. And a lot of times when we get derailed, it's not actually the sex. It's not actually the new car. It's not actually prioritizing the job over your family. It is the longings of your soul for peace, worth, acceptance, security that can only ultimately be found in prioritizing God and his direction for your life first. And when we don't do that, we take really good things and take them out of context in such a way that they become destructive in our life. And it happens over and over and over again. Now, here's the thing about it. Like when you move into those spaces, of strong emotional appeal that starts to pull you in and you know, and somebody around you know, around you knows. Here's the thing that generally happens. That strong emotional appeal lowers your defenses and it starts to raise your defensiveness. It just happens and you know this. 
Like you get on the edge of something, sometimes it almost feels like a point of no return because you're just in so deep, you want it so bad. And there's a friend around you that's trying to tell you, there's a family member you don't wanna listen to. There's somebody who's bold enough and courageous enough because usually that's what it takes to go, I think this is gonna end really badly. And all of a sudden you get to this place where confirmation bias kicks in. Because, and you know what confirmation bias, you start to see what you're looking for. And so it can be a really bad decision, but you can always find reasons to make a bad decision. And so confirmation bias kicks in. Your IQ starts to lower. Like that's just true because you have got, and I've done the same thing. You've gotten on the other side of a decision and you've said this to yourself, maybe not in these words. How could I have been so stupid? Like, and it's not that you're stupid. It's that confirmation bias kicks in. It's that IQ drops in the moment and you start to consider things that you never would have considered before. Your EQ starts to fall and all of a sudden your defenses are lowered and your defensiveness raises because the emotional appeal of something is starting to lead you down a road where you don't wanna to listen to anybody else around you. Now, this is just a quick side note, but I think it's so important. This is what happens a lot of times with addiction. But here's where I wanna and it sounds weird, but encourage some of you that even right now are battling addiction, some of you who are attending Celebrate Recovery that we offer, you're, maybe you're walking through something and right now you're still walking through it in silence and it's so easy to, to look back at maybe addiction that we were freed from or, or an addiction when it started and be really so hard and full of shame and guilt toward ourselves. Here's the thing that you have to understand about most addictions. Most addictions are the process of dulling some kind of pain. In, in, in a sense, it is an effort to keep living and to stay alive. And there are certain seasons of your life where literally because of maybe what you were experienced, what was done, what you were walking through, the only thing that you knew and the only mechanism that you had, self-soothing mechanism, was that thing that you reached for, that addiction. And it wasn't good for you, but literally, and this sounds kind of crazy, it was the longing of your soul to go, I want to live, I want to be alive. And the only thing that you knew in the moment in order to live and to stay alive was reaching for that thing. And it's why a lot of times the invitation to to the addict should not primarily be, well, you just need to repent and drop it and stop. The invitation needs to be, listen, that addiction that you've moved toward is actually the thing in your soul that says, I wanna live, I want to follow, I want life, I want life to the full. You've just looked for it in a wrong place. There's a better option. There's a better way to live. But can I just say this real quick? If you're in a place right now where somebody's trying to have an awkward conversation with you, like you have one of those individuals that loves you enough to go, I'm not sure. And your defensiveness constantly is going up. You should pay attention to that. Like you, and, and I get, like, yeah, but you don't understand. Like every time they talk to me about it, they're a jerk. They have an attitude. I get that. That's always our excuse. And they, they, maybe they are. Or they don't have all of the information. They probably don't. Or if they had my perspective, saw it the way that I, I get it. They don't see it the way you do. But the fact that there's somebody that maybe in another context you've trusted in the past and suddenly they're trying to tell you something that you won't listen to, you should pay attention. Because when something has enough strong emotional appeal, your defenses get lowered and your defensiveness goes up and you can find yourself at the end of a season going, what in the world was I thinking? And somebody else close to you who loved you had crystal clear insight into the stupidity of that decision before you made it. If you're distracted by what's on the path, you will be distracted from where the path ultimately is taking you. 
And the thing is, there's people in your life that they don't have the, the same emotional connection. There's an objectivity to go, I don't really care about this thing. This doesn't even look that great to me. I don't think it's gonna end well for you. And if you're distracted by what's on the path, you will opt for appealing ultimately over peace. And appealing isn't bad. I'll come back to that again. But it's not worth trading your peace for. It's not worth trading contentment for. It's not worth trading your soul for. Satisfying, content, peace is always better than appealing. And so it's no surprise Paul, um, who writes like two thirds of the New Testament, he writes all about this. And here's what I wanna say real quick as I roll into what Paul says. Some of this is gonna be really helpful for you. For some of you that you've never signed on to the Jesus thing, you're not sure that whether you believe or not, none of it applies to you. So like, if you're so tired of Christians going, you need to live this way, you should be tired of that. I'll come back to it later, but Paul actually talks about it. If you've never signed on to follow Jesus, you're not accountable to any of Jesus' teachings. So you get to go like, I'm investigating, I'm trying to figure this out, but I'm not telling you how to live your life. You've never signed on to following or living for Jesus. Now, here's what I would say. If you're in that place of like, I'm skeptical, I'm a seeker, um, I'm a returner. So I'm like, I'm just trying to figure out faith. I was gone for a decade and now I'm back, which is a lot of you. Um, Just quick plug, because this is so important. One of the things that we do is this, we call it a conversational environment called Starting Point, where it literally is designed for that group of people. Our next one launches in February, February um, 14th, I think. I don't know, is it on the screen? Um, 15th, yeah, Valentine's gonna be a terrible day to start that class. So um, February the 15th, actually, which makes a lot more sense. Um, But if you're like, I'm I'm returning, I'm still seeking, I've got questions, um, or I'm just straight up a skeptic. We've designed our church with you in mind in a lot of ways. That's an incredible place to to just, what is the story of the scriptures? And, And if you feel comfortable, what are my questions that I've never felt like I've been able to ask? But if you're in that place of, I'm not sure if I believe, you're not accountable to any of it. But if you are a follower of Jesus, What Paul says is, I'm telling you so brilliant. What he says at the end that I wanna get to, you'll probably think whatever, and you set this whole thing up for that. But it's so brilliant what Paul says. And he literally goes, this is why you want to live in the direction of what Jesus is inviting you into. This is why Jesus is better. And here's what Paul says in some of these verses. um, I say this with humility, I've been so taken out of context and um, just torn apart. So I'm gonna do my best. In Galatians 5.13, it's in the CC app. If you've got that, you can follow along. But here's what Paul writes. You, my brothers and sisters, meaning Paul makes it really clear. This is for followers of Jesus. Everybody else, pay attention to this. You might like it. This is what Jesus is inviting you into. But this is really for people who would go, I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is so important. You were called to be free. Pause, just real quick. If your version of Christianity isn't liberating, it's the wrong version. If you grew up in a version of Christianity that felt anything but liberating, you should rethink it. If you left the church and following Jesus because none of it felt liberating, it felt so constricting, like it was sucking the life out of you, you should give the Jesus thing another look. And Paul talks a little bit about this, but all throughout in the New Testament, and this is so tough for us to wrap our minds around. This is one of the central themes. You have been called to be free. Jesus has invited you into something that was different than any other ancient religion. And it's still different than any other religion that we would stack up today in 2022. And so he says, brothers and sisters, just so you know, you have been called to be free, but then he begins to give us kind of parameters and direction around that freedom when he says this, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. 
And I feel like I should be wearing a suit at a pulpit when I say that verse, because that's the mental imagery that comes into my mind. And there should be a really bad flower arrangement up here. I don't know where that came from, but here's, here's what he's saying, because this, this is so important. I feel like a lot of this is, has honestly been butchered. A lot of the, the desires that move you, a lot of the appetites that move you, a lot of the strong emotions that move you, they're appetites. Not just physical like appetite for food, they're, they're appetites for anything, for more recognition. They're appetites for more worth. They're, they're appetites for more sex. They're appetites for more security. And, and this is true of any appetite. The more you feed an appetite, the more an appetite grows. And in this context, what Paul is writing is this. You, you shouldn't say yes to every impulse because eventually, even good impulses, you were created for pleasure. You were created for desire. God wired you that way. But you shouldn't say yes to every impulse because eventually, if you say yes to every impulse indiscriminately, eventually you will not be able to say no to any of those impulses. Eventually, you will always say yes to those impulses. And this is the point that Paul is really trying to make is, and eventually when you say yes to every single impulse that comes your way, eventually it will infringe on somebody else's freedom. Eventually it will hurt somebody else. When Paul talks about the flesh in this context, really what he's talking about is this, and he'll make it clear in a moment. When you consistently by your choices and what you run after, elevate yourself at the expense of somebody else. That's what he's talking about. And eventually, if you say, even if that impulse is good, even if that desire is good, even if that pleasure is good, a good desire and pleasure can be taken out of context. And so he's saying, if you say yes to every single impulse that comes your way, eventually you won't be able to say no to any impulses. And eventually just mark it down. It, your freedom will infringe on somebody else's freedom. Eventually your freedom has the potential and you've been called to be free but don't use your freedom to hurt somebody else who's made in the image of God. And so he says, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, this is so important, serve one another humbly in what? Online, real quick, in what? Like, you know this already, but leveraging your freedom for the benefit of other people even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it's not intuitive. Leveraging your freedom for the benefit of other people leads toward a destination that you were designed for in every area of your life. I can't do a marriage series right now, but I'll just tell you this. Great marriages are not fueled by let me get mine. It just doesn't work that way. And the other side is true as well. When you leverage your freedom at the expense of other people, it leads to a destination that ultimately you will regret in every area of your life. It, you don't even have to believe in God. It just doesn't work. God hasn't created it that way. God hasn't created you that way. So then Paul quotes Jesus and he begins to hone in on this and it's so powerful. For the entire law, and what he's talking about here is the entire Jewish law, which was, by the way, talk about not liberating, 613 Old Testament commands and in this context, I think he's talking about civil law as well. This is like all law. This is the Old Testament Jewish law. This is civil law. This is any law that you can get a hold of. For the entire law is fulfilled in this one command, in one singular overarching command. Paul's about to say, listen, the reason that there are virtually no rules in the New Testament is because I've created a new system. 
The reason that there is, at least in our eyes, sometimes so much ambiguity and nuance is because Jesus would say, I've created a new system and it's a better system because you're never gonna have enough laws. I mean, come on, there were 613 laws in the Old Testament. The religious leaders were still off the rails. There's never enough laws. Paul's writing, God has boiled everything down to one singular command that you know really well. I want you to love your neighbor the way that you love you. In every interaction, every relationship, I want you to love them the way you love you. In every business deal, I want you to love them the way that you, they, you know, what, what I'm trying to say. I want you to love them the way that you want them to love you and the way Jesus loves you. You get what I'm saying. In every part of your life, in every component of your life, this is the New Testament ethic. You don't even need a verse. You don't even need to find a passage. You could lose your Bible and you'll still be okay. As long as you believe that Jesus came, he died, he rose from the grave, go. This is all you need. I want you to love your neighbor the way that I have loved you. If it's not good for them, it's a sin, even if you can't find the verse. If it prioritizes you above them in that deal, it's a sin. If that expression is something that you could do, but ultimately is gonna hurt them, it's a sin. If that thing is gonna lead them into a place where they feel worse about themselves, it's a sin. Jesus is like, through the writings of Paul, this is all you need. It is the singular overarching command that guides everything. I will not exercise my freedom if my freedom infringes on your freedom. Because I have been called to love my neighbor the way that Jesus has loved me. Here, just, just quick side point that's so, so important in our culture. One of the things that we have elevated, this is specifically in Western culture, is we have elevated personal freedom above almost anything else. And just so you know, that is a Western cultural idea. And it a lot of times stems from, and I'll just go quick and you can take this how you want. I'm not saying more than I'm saying right now, but generally it's a result of making our God American domestic politics that puts that as the lens through everything that we see rather than Jesus so that literally we can espouse an idea that my life is all about my personal freedom. All the while it completely contradicts everything that Jesus said and did that your personal freedom is not the highest goal. In fact, following Jesus means there's plenty of times where you give up your personal freedom for the sake of somebody else and their freedom. For the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. So I say, walk by the spirit, which is usually super ethereal. And I grew up like never understanding this, like walk by the spirit, like put it in language that I understand and give me three points. But here's all he's saying in this moment. I just want you to pay attention to the internal nudge inside of you. I want you to live according to the rhythm of your heavenly father through the Holy Spirit. And that's a huge theological thing. But the moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus, this may sound weird and ethereal, but you are indwelt by the spirit of God. That so literally every part of your life, if you're willing to pay attention, God wants to direct you and he's not reluctant. Sometimes we feel that way because like we're praying a prayer that God hasn't seemed to answer in three years. or He's been really quiet about this thing or we asked him to do whatever and God didn't do it. But I'm telling you, those are not evidence that God is with you or for you. God is with you. God is for you. And the Holy Spirit of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, is in you and leading you. And all he's saying is, I want you to sync up with the rhythm of your heavenly father going, I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to consider that, or I do want you to move in this direction. This is not my best for your life. All this is, we so overcomplicate this, is just being aware. Hey God, I want you to direct my life. 
And when I feel that thing that I try to explain away, because sometimes that thing through the Holy Spirit comes from a voice that I really don't want to listen to, that annoys me. And in some ways, that's the Holy Spirit speaking through them to keep me or to move me in the direction that he wants me to go. He's like, I want you to walk in that direction. I want you to pay attention to that nudge. I want you to move toward the direction that the spirit is leading you. And here's the thing, God's spirit, this is so important for the church, is always going to nudge you in the direction of others first living every single time. He is always going to nudge you in the direction of prioritizing other people above you. There is a cost to following Jesus, but Jesus would also say, but at the end, that, that way is actually better. That way is actually more satisfying. And then he says this, and the result is you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And all that means a better translation would be this. You will not fulfill selfish desires. What he's saying is when you start to move your life in this direction where it's, listen, I could do it. I have the freedom to do it. I'm okay to do it, but I don't know how it's gonna affect them. I don't know how it's gonna affect me. I don't know where it's gonna lead in the future. I don't know what it's gonna do to that corporate environment. I mean, whatever it is, I have the freedom to do it. But when I begin to live in the direction of, I wanna love my neighbor the way Christ has loved me. And, and even in all of my freedom and my desires and my pleasures and those good things that I've been called to pursue, I'm gonna make sure that those things are never elevated above something somebody else. And when I do that, naturally, almost in some cases without trying, I'm not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm not going to move in the direction of selfish desires where I am susceptible to strong emotional appeal where I get what I want, but it hurts somebody else. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And he's just saying what you know. There are times where you want to, but you know this is what you ought to do. I want to, ought to, want to. Ought, like there's, in fact, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're trying to figure out the whole God thing, that's something you should pay attention to. That's just a question that you should ask. And I think you know it's more than environmental, which is generally kind of how we chalk that up. Why do you have so much conflict in you? And if there is no God, why do you even care? Why is there that thing of, I want to, but this is what I ought to do? And Paul's going, the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit, the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And then he says it this way, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Like there's a lot of things that you could do. There's a lot of things that you have the freedom to do. There's a lot of things you couldn't even find a verse for. It just has to do with wisdom. But the natural pull of every single individual is I want what is appealing. And here's what I would say to you just real quick. Strong emotional appeal is a red flag. It's not a green light. Sometimes we just think because we want it, we should move in that direction. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm not saying it may not be a green light. I'm just saying this. We generally invert that to go, if I want it, if there's strong appeal, if it's attractive, if I'm feeling it, then I'm just gonna move in that direction because God wants me to be happy, right? Like that's my verse. And so I'm just gonna move toward this thing. But the reality is this. A lot of cases you get tripped up by the very things that have strong emotional appeal. That's not a green light. That may be a red red flag, that you're moving towards something that in and of itself, it's not bad, but taken out of context, it may lead you to a destination that you don't want to end up at. But if you're led by the spirit, meaning if you're sensitive to the nudge that's moving you to reigning in your freedom at certain points for the sake of other people, but if you're led by the spirit, 
You are not, this is so powerful. You are not under the law. This is what I love that Jesus came to introduce. There's one command that releases you from needing any other rules. There is one command that leads you, that leads you away from needing any other laws. And this is the part, I could talk about this all day long, I don't have time. This is the part that we struggle with so much. This is the part that we've been trying to catch up with Jesus about for 2000 years. We are so uncomfortable with the New Testament. It's why we constantly dabble in the Old Testament. We want rules and we want guidelines and we want more verses and we want policies and we hate gray and we hate nuance and we hate to have to actually be led by the spirit. Just give me a document and let me know. And Jesus says, those days are over. And you'll see why in just a second. But with what I'm introducing, there's no need for law because there's a single overarching command. And if you submit to that, it's actually better than a verse. It's better than the seven rules you were given in your denomination. It was better than we're gonna highlight these sins and then nobody's even gonna worry about these sins. Sex always goes on the list. People being angry to their spouse, nobody even worries about that. So everybody picks and chooses and cherry picks what's a big sin and what's a small sin and all of it's ridiculous. And then you walk away from the church and you think it's Jesus. There's one single overarching command that really comes down to a terrifyingly clear question. What does love demand of me? I don't even need a verse in my marriage. If I'm gonna do this, if I'm moving in this direction, if I'm gonna treat her this way, what does love demand of me? I'm gonna sign this deal. I can't find any verse about this. God doesn't even talk about my corporate environment. What does love demand of me? We could organize our time this way. You're not gonna find anything in the New Testament. Paul never writes about it. What does love demand of us? on the verge of that decision, on the verge of talking to him, on the verge of picking up that habit, on the verge of that priority, what does love demand of me? What does love demand of us? And if it's not good for him, it's a sin. If it's not good for her, defer. It's appealing, it's attractive. Everybody's even doing it. I have a group of people I meet with that all said it was great and it was fine, no big deal. But what does this decision do for him? And what does this activity do for her? And what does this direction in our life do for them? What does love demand of us? And we don't even need a rule book. And then Paul says this, because the acts of the flesh are obvious. Meaning, and again, to put in context flesh, when you make decisions towards something that is appealing, that prioritizes you at the expense of somebody else. That's what he's talking about. Because in fact, some of the things that he puts in his list are not bad things by themselves. In fact, I would, I organize three of them. You could read the whole list for yourself. But if somebody comes into counseling, these are the three that tend to pop up more than any, anybody else. When somebody has this huge thing or like, we need to see somebody, we need to see a counselor. They never sit down and go like, I just got to talk about a parking ticket that I didn't pay. And then I've got like, nobody ever does that. Nobody ever gets an appointment for that. Or I just, I haven't kept up on my expense support and my shame and guilt is over. Like nobody does that. Like nobody cares really until you get a boot on your car. They come in and generally it, it centers around like three things, sex, selfish ambition, and envy. Like the things that have so much appeal and two of those things are not even wrong. Sex, ambition, not selfish ambition, but ambition that was created in you from the very beginning in the garden of Eden to flourish, to build, to grow, to achieve. That's actually of God. 
That's not the enemy of God. But what he's saying in any of these things, when you elevate you at the expense of somebody else, I'm telling you, you're moving in the direction of the flesh or this thing that deprioritizes other people and you will end up in a destination in that area of your life or in your life that you're not going to want. Now, just real quick side note. If you're like, I'm not a Jesus follower, I'm trying to figure all this out. One of the things that caused me to leave, because I hear from a lot of you, especially on radio, was churches teaching about sex. Are you kidding me? You have no right to tell me how to live my life. I already said that. I have no right to tell you how to live your life. In fact, Paul says this in another letter where he, and this, you can go read it for yourself. He says, what business of ours is it to judge those outside of the church? I don't know how the church missed this, this verse. And then Paul answers the question, none of your business. It is none of your business to judge anybody outside of the church. Like just, this is just a quick side note. Again, this has led for some of us who view our Jesus through politics, this has led to some ridiculous idea that follow Jesus means moralize society or create Christian whatever, Christian nations. Jesus actually came to planet earth to undo all of that. Jesus never gave the intent of, I wanna moralize society or I wanna project all of my beliefs or my ways of living on everybody else. It was Jesus followers that were actually to build an upside down counterintuitive kingdom that starts on the bottom and it goes up. And Jesus followers changed first century culture and Rome basically recognized Christianity as the legal religion, not because they moralized anything, but because they took that one singular command to love other people the way God has loved you. And it transformed all all of society. And so he says, listen, I don't want you to put yourself over somebody else. Sex is something that God created. If you're not a Jesus follower, you don't have to follow any of Jesus' teachings on sex, but a lot of them have been butchered anyway. A great book for you, and I just thought of this, should have put it in the notes, is The, the Great Sex Rescue which is an incredible book. It's a book that I'll give every single new Christian or if they're getting married, like an incredible book that undoes a lot of the teaching maybe that you grew up with that you didn't understand. I, I'm gonna just say this because people always get nervous when I talk about sex and that's not the series that I'm on right now and I'm way too, I guess, upfront about it. Um, God created sex. I don't think that's a new thing. Desire and pleasure are good. It's not just for procreation. God I'm just gonna stop because I was gonna go down a road that I know I'm gonna get emails for. Like, I just stop right there. So you can go back to another series I did called uh, Swipe Right and it's um, graphic and your kids shouldn't listen to it. So God created sex. His point here is any good thing can be taken out of context. So, so make sure in regard to sex that you never make a decision that will diminish somebody else's sexual experience down the road because that, that's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. You don't even need a verse for that. Make sure that in regard to sex, because this happens so much, that you don't ever make any decision where your name pops up in somebody's future counseling session. Make sure that you value the other person above yourself. Make sure that you are stewarding your soul and recognize like it's a big deal. Jesus teaching all comes down to that. You don't even need a verse. What does love demand of you? Selfish ambition, you were created to be ambitious, but the moment you're willing to go after something, whether it's for worth or security or to feel okay, and you step over another person to get to that place, Jesus would say, that's giving in to the desires of the flesh. You are putting yourself above somebody else. Don't go there. You're not gonna end up at a destination that you want. Envy, I think I'm gonna do a whole series on this later this year because we have never been more aware of everybody around us than we are at this point in history. And we are competing with everybody. And we're competing with people who don't know that we're competing with them. 
And for some of us, we finally arrive. We're like, I got there. And they're like, where? I didn't even know we were in a race. I don't even know who you are. I didn't even know this was a thing. And yet there's this thing inside of us. We were created by God and for God for love, acceptance, worth, and security. But it will not be found in, try to out, in trying to outdo somebody else. And here's the reason Paul puts it on the list. Because it goes to the heart of loving your neighbor as yourself. Because you cannot compete with somebody and love somebody at the same time. And so he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And then he lists them. But you know what they are. And sometimes appealing can be distracting. And then he states something really disturbing. And I got to go, go quick here. This is a huge theological thing. I don't have time to really underscore the way it, it would do it justice. But he says this, I warn you, as I did before, I just don't want to skip the verse, that those who live like this, basically chase appealing no matter who it hurts. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some people, I think, and this sounds arrogant, misinterpret this. This is not talking about heaven, this is not talking about like once you place your faith and trust in Jesus, nothing is gonna undo this. But the moment you begin to follow Jesus, you receive an inheritance as a son and a daughter of God and you're now a part of ushering in his kingdom and one day it's gonna be ushered in in full and Jesus is gonna take his seat on his throne as the ruling and reigning king forever. But the scripture is really clear that we begin to usher that kingdom ethic in right now. Like we begin to live according to this upside down kingdom in terms of how we treat people and view people and live and work and are generous and handle our marriages. Like we begin to live with this upside down counterintuitive kingdom ethic. And I think what he's saying here is when there's never any conflict around pursuing what you want and what is appealing to you at the expense of somebody else, you defer your inheritance. You don't experience what comes with living right now according to my kingdom ethic in every area of your life. And what I have for you and ushering in my kingdom and how I want you to see and how I want you to love, it's better than anything else that you're gonna chase and anything else that you are going to go after. So Paul would say, you need to begin living in a different direction. To say yes to that nudge that is going, this is where I want you to go. To choose peace over what is appealing. And the outflow is this, the fruit of the spirit. The outcome of saying yes to that internal nudge is what every single one of us are after. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And this is a huge one, self-control. Like I have to tell you this, if you're single, that's who you wanna marry. If you're a human being that's breathing, regardless of whether you factored in the God thing or not, that's who you want to be or that's who you wanna become. And then lastly, this is one of my favorite insights for Paul that's for many of you, this is gonna be a yawner, but I'm just telling you, if I had time to unpack it, this is such a powerful statement, verse 23. Against such things, there's no law. And you're like, serious, that's it? What about John 3, 16? That's not your favorite verse. No, I'm telling you, this is, this is an incredible verse. Against such things, there is no law. Here's the reason that when Jesus showed up, the law system expired in that moment because the law always leads you to the lowest common denominator. What can I get away with? What can I, what can I do? What can I engage in and God's still cool with me? Like, how can I do this and, and just still feel all right? The law never inspires and never raises you up. The law just leads you to the lowest common denominator. And so when Jesus introduced his new covenant in the upper room, he said, listen, my body is about to be broken for you. I'm about to be broken and then raised from the dead. And I'm gonna offer you new life 
by walking in the spirit. And I'm just giving you one command that's gonna be a part of this one movement and it's gonna shape all of history and all the rules are gonna go away. All you need to ask is what does love demand of me? How do I love my neighbor the way that you have loved me? And that question will be terrifyingly clear and there will be no need for law any longer. There's gonna be one law and no regret. And as much as you're willing to imperfectly follow that one law, you resist creating regret for you and you resist creating regret for other people. And there's no need to legislate anything. I mean, really Paul's point is this, like there's no need for law. Nobody's gonna have to come and legislate the fruits of the spirit. Hey, you're getting carried away with how you're loving and deferring your wife. We need to talk about this. Like you're getting carried away about how selfless you are and giving of yourselves. Like I think, I think it's a little bit extreme. There's no need to govern anything. This one singular command takes you beyond what the law would ever do because it's not just about, can I get along with you or can I make a decision where I'm just okay? It is, how can I love you? How can I lay my life down for you? How can I defer my freedom for the sake of your freedom? And I don't have to do that. I could get away with not doing that. I could even find Bible verses to support it but that's not what I'm under any longer because I've been released from the law and now the the level of what the life I've been called into raises. I'm inspired to do more. I'm inspired to go further. One singular command that is terrifyingly clear. How can I love you the way that God has loved me? And that one command leads to no regret and it does away with the need for you to even find Bible verses of whether it's right or wrong any longer. You can walk walk in nuance. You can walk in the gray areas. You can move into places to go, Paul doesn't cover this. Jesus doesn't cover this. What do I do? What does love demand of me? How do I love my neighbor in this moment? How do I do for them what God has done for me? That is the question. And so the best way to predict your future, whether you're on the right track, is to pay attention to where you're headed. So let me ask you just this one or two or three, I'm not sure, really uncomfortable questions and then we'll be done. Have you become so enamored with something or with someone on your path that you failed to recognize where the path you're on is taking you? Have you become so enamored with something or someone on your path that you failed to recognize where that path that you're on is taking you? Have you lowered your defenses And have you raised your defensiveness? And the question is just this as I end the series. Are you willing to reverse course and begin living in a different direction? And I just wanna be really clear because when I teach this type of thing, I get this question a lot, so I don't want there to ever be confusion. Well, what's the way back? Is there a way back? Of course there is. Your heavenly father loves you and would say to you, I can redeem and restore anything. I can move you out of anything. I can resurrect anything. My plans for you are good. My plans for you lead you to destinations that are not gonna be pain-free or problem-free, but they're what you want for your life. But you get there the same way you got to where you are now. You get to where you wanna be the same way you got to where you didn't wanna be. You sow and reap your way there. You begin to move in a different direction. You begin to make different decisions. We said in week one, you don't have a problem to be fixed because for a lot of us who are in a place we don't wanna be right now, you can't fix it. It's not a problem to be fixed. It is a direction that needs to be changed. And your heavenly father and your savior Jesus says, I want you to begin to move in my direction, not your intention, 
Your directions, your decisions, your priorities ultimately determine the destination of your life. And so Jesus would say to you, I've invited you into life to the full. And it is not easy and it is not with pain, but you already know this, none of life is easy and without pain. So Jesus would say, the things that your soul soul longs for, love, acceptance, worth, security, contentment, peace, they're found in me. I want you to follow me. And the way that you do that is to begin to move in my direction, paying attention to my spirit's nudge centered around this one singular command in every area of my life, including the areas that I've been wrestling with and I'm not sure. And what does love demand of me? How do I love them and love me the way that God in heaven has loved me through Jesus. And Jesus, I'm gonna begin to move in that direction. And as bad as it might be right now, as hopeless as it might be right now, as anxiety ridden as it might be right now, you serve a resurrected savior and he can resurrect and breathe hope and life into anything. So he says to you, follow me. Would you stand with me all over the house? Let me just pray with you. Jesus, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for for what you've done in this moment in individual lives and circumstances and they're all over the place and our examples are all over the place and yet your spirit is able to take this and speak in such a way that it feels like it was meant for us in this moment, in this season. And so I pray that you would do your thing. I pray that this would be the start of listening to what we just talked about, that internal nudge that is really the voice of our heavenly father that maybe feels like restriction or taking freedom, but it's anything but. It's the desire to give us more freedom and more liberation to God. I want you to follow me. I want you to change directions. I want you to surrender your life to me. And I want you to pay attention to that nudge in this moment that's leading you in the direction of the destination that you were designed for. And I pray this in Jesus' incredible name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.